This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program, made possible in part by the support of the Pfizer Lilly Alliance. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. Welcome to the last episode of the AAOS Advocacy Bone Beat for 2021. If anything has shown us this year, it's how quickly things can change, especially toward the end of the year. We've seen it before and we've seen it again. Even though we push our advocacy topics all year long, it always seems like in December it becomes an absolute whirlwind. So in this episode, our staff from the Office of Government Relations for the American Association of the Orthopedic Surgeons will offer us the latest updates on two major issues we've been following, as well as look ahead into the forthcoming issues and challenges in 2022. Our two guests on this podcast are two very good friends of mine who are both senior directors at the Office of Government Relations. First is Catherine Hayes, who is the Senior Director of Government Relations for Legislative Affairs, and then Sharasi Deb, who is the Senior Director of Health Policy for Regulatory Affairs. Welcome, ladies, to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us, Dr. Lindy. Thank you. So as the association has been telling y'all through many different venues, through our communications channels, we are facing significant reimbursement cuts in 2022. If y'all remember, there were three buckets that these cuts were in. The first was the Medicare sequester cut, which is a 2% cut that was uniformly applied across the Medicare payments. The second is PAYGO, also known as pay-as-you-go, which is a 4% cut, which is a budgetary restriction that's triggered by the passage of the large legislative packages in 2021. And the last cut that we're about to face is the conversion factor update cut, which is a 3.75% reduction in payment. This was originally scheduled for 2021, but then Congress allowed this to be delayed until 2022. So sure enough, we're facing it once again. So it's important to know that our Office of Government Relations has been aggressively advocating in front of Congress and the regulatory agencies to take action before the end of the year to mitigate these cuts. And sure enough, Congress has just passed a bill that was signed into law on the 10th of December. Catherine, can you recap what all has been happening in the last few weeks and last couple months and what this means for the 2022 Medicare payments that our fellows will see? Sure. As you mentioned, Congress really felt that mandate the last minute to pass legislation to provide relief for these significant cuts. We obviously have been talking about this on the Hill all year and then have had multiple grassroots alerts go out. A lot of our grass tops ambassadors have also reached out to their members to really focus on the potential devastation that anywhere near a 10% cut could be for many physicians and for the patient's So in the last couple of weeks, we really saw a lot of public discussion of the need to take action from a lot of different places on the Hill. There were a lot of letters that were written to leadership on both the House and the Senate in order to do the relief. In essence, the PAYGO cut is delayed for one year. So that is set to take effect January 1, 2023. Sequestration cuts will be phased in, full relief from them in the first quarter of 2022, 
1% cut in the second quarter, and then the 2% will be fully implemented come July 2022. I don't see these cuts being reversed in any way. I think we've expected at some point for the sequestration to go ahead and take effect. And then lastly, the conversion factor, which we had worked on at the tail end of 2020, that was a 3.75% update to that conversion factor. We're now seeing that at a 3% update. So in essence, there'll be about a 7.75% cut smoothed over through the year. It'll be about 2% cuts in Medicare, which we don't believe there should be anything, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. But considering where we were about three weeks ago, it's a significant improvement. I think a lot of our focus will now need to be at the end of the year 2022 to try to avert any cuts moving forward. But overall, we do really need to focus on reforms, the payment system, particularly in Medicare Part B. Medicare is running out. I think the latest report said by 2026 or in six years. And that's very concerning for our patient population and for the future of the system in general. All right, Shirasi, let's go to you. Is there anything you want to add or say about the regulatory perspective on the long-term outlook of these cuts and payment for orthopedic surgical services more generally? Sure. So for decades, as many of us know, Medicare has used a complex formula to determine physician reimbursement. So for a given service or bundle of services, the relative value units assigned to that service are multiplied by a dollar amount referred to as the conversion factor. So many factors come into play in determining payments for a given service, but the conversion factor represents the target or the amount where Congress usually legislates on. It is concerning for us that the conversion factor has remained relatively flat, and this is per the Medicare trustees report. The conversion factor has remained flat for more than two decades now, despite a general inflation of more than 50% over the same period. So in fact, by some estimates, if the conversion factor had merely been indexed for general inflation starting in 1998, its current value would be $57.60. And that is, again, based on general inflation. If we were to keep pace with medical inflation, it would go even higher up. So that is a major concern that we are trying to raise prices everywhere else in the economy, but not with physician payments. The other area, rebalancing in favor of primary care is a definite need given the shortages in our healthcare system. But certain associated Medicare policies, such as not updating the evaluation and management outpatient visit updates that were done starting January 1st of this year to global surgical codes, will negatively impact access to surgical care. All right, y'all. And that sounds scary enough. But, you know, for many of us, we've been here before, right? Those of us who have been doing advocacy for 10, 15 or more years, we remember the time when we would get the sustainable growth rate, please from the academy, everybody call their congressman. And after a while, we start to sound like chicken little. We say, and the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Oh my gosh, you got to do it. And then every year we would get these dock fixes right till we got to the edge of the cliff. These cuts have been always averted in the past, but I don't know, Catherine, are we going to get this lucky in the future? What do you think? Politically, Congress has changed quite a bit since the doc fix and especially since the beginning of it. But even when Macker came into play, things are a lot more polarized right now. There's a lot of common sense solutions that you would think most people would agree on. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. 
I think the best example of that is even the sequestration policy altogether. There was an agreement that if they could not find a balanced budget, they would just cut everybody by 2%. Nobody, when they came up with that policy, thought that we would ever actually head over that cliff. And we, in fact, did. And we continue to do that by increasing sequestration, pushing it out, increasing the, the number. I think while most people would agree that you should not cut physician pay, a lot of the things that Shriasi mentioned about medical inflation, I think everybody knows those facts and understands those facts. But when it comes to doing something to fix that, I don't really see it magically happening for us every year as it had in the past. So a lot of these cuts that we see on the physician fee schedule that Medicare puts out, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services rights regulations for every year, have certain statutory limits. For example, the budget neutrality requirements play into the cuts that get into the conversion factor. So a lot of it is also dependent on how Congress responds, and it's out of the hands of the regulators because they're tied by statutory requirements. I also do not foresee things improving that well unless we change some of the rules, the basic rules that we play by. All right. Thank you, Catherine and Shirasi, for those updates on the 2022 Medicare pay cuts and the forward outlook on the Medicare system as well. And y'all remember that we did an interview on the Bonebead podcast with Dr. Patricia Ketchy, who is a healthcare economist in the October episode. So I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Now let's transition on to the second issue, which is the implementation of the regulations to protect patients from receiving surprise medical bills, which are set to take effect on the 1st of January in 2022. Now, if you thought that Medicare pay cuts was complicated, this is the deep end of the pool. This legislation, it took me a long time to really figure out what exactly was going on. They talk about things like baseball-style arbitration, whatever that is, and it can really get a headache trying to read through this whole thing. But the bottom line is this law is supposed to protect patients from surprise medical bills, which the AOS strongly supports. But on the other hand, we want a fair and balanced system so that orthopedic surgeons are compensated appropriately for the work they do. Now, if you recall, after the law was passed, the regulators had the responsibility of writing the rules on that process, but somehow the scales were tipped in the favor of the insurers rather than a fair system between the insurers and the physicians. And the problem was is that the agencies seemed to ignore all the list of the different things that the independent arbitrator was supposed to review. Once again, I'd encourage y'all to go back and listen to the AOS Advocacy Bone Bead podcast in November, where we interviewed an Academy member and also one of the legislative age from Representative Tom Swazi's office. So, Shirasi, can you reiterate the AOS issues with this rule and where we are with making revisions in this? Sure. As you mentioned, Congress intended the qualifying payment amount to be just one factor among many to be considered when determining negotiated rate between the parties who are in dispute. We are concerned because we believe that if qualifying payment amount is the only factor that is considered in such disputes, then this definitely gives insurance companies an advantage. And ultimately what will happen, the insurance companies will negotiate in network rate and it will start a race to the bottom 
seriously and negatively impacting access to surgical care, other specialty care as well for uh, patients. And none of us want that. As you mentioned, all parties, including AOS, believe that patients should be held harmless in these disputes. But we are concerned that increasing market power for insurance companies will continue to have a very negative ripple effect across the healthcare sector. So the tri-agencies, along with the Office of Personal Management of the federal government, wrote these regulations. There were a number of regulations. AOS responded in writing to all these regulations. We also held meetings with regulatory staff in November and highlighted that the primary reason that some surgeons and other physicians are out of network is because the negotiated rates are already so low that it really doesn't reimburse the expertise that they bring. So OGR will continue to work with regulators to align the rules with statutory intent. And I must also mention that Congress has oversight authority on regulatory implementation as well. And Congress has been taking some note of what's going on. And I would invite my colleague Catherine Hayes to comment on congressional activity in this regard. Yeah, so there obviously is a lot of concern in certain pockets in Congress about what we're seeing happening in the agencies. We have letters that have been written, one very large one from the House, a couple from the Senate. Again, there has been some great conversation about the law and the implementation of the law. Unfortunately, Congress can't write a new law because the one that they wrote was the one that was incorrectly implemented. So we can't legislate our way out of this right now, but instead just provide oversight. So it sounds like we've done everything we can to vocalize these concerns. And unfortunately, we're just in the waiting game right now until those regulations take effect on the 1st of January. Is there anything else that we should say about this issue before we move on to looking ahead at 2022? One more thing I wanted to mention is that the American Medical Association joined forces with the American Hospital Association to file a lawsuit in D.C. District Court against the tri-agencies and OPM that are writing these regulations, highlighting that these regulations go against congressional intent. We are likely to see other lawsuits across the country, and we are closely following how regulatory agencies will respond. And then AAOS is also going to work with our practice management team to inform our members on how to prepare their practices in time for implementation starting 1st of January. Wow. All right. We'll be following all that closely and we'll bring updates to the AOS fellows as this moves along. Now, Academy fellows, y'all listen up because the bottom line is those of us who are actively practicing surgery we get the immediate impact to what we do. As y'all know, I'm a trauma surgeon. We work very hard to save functions, save lives, and do many important things. But we can often forget that these advocacy issues are absolutely as important as all the clinical things that we do. Because without making sure that all of these rules and the legislation are correct, we are putting ourselves at significant risk of not being able to deliver the care to the patients that so vitally depend upon us. Think about the stuff that we do every day. We take advantage of the fact that our systems just work, that everything just goes along. 
that doesn't happen by accident, y'all. That happens with a lot of work being done in the background to make sure that the legislation is correct and then that the legislation is written into the correct rules so that our patients can be taken care of and our Office of Government Relations routinely develops that and delivers that on a year-in, year-out basis. So, ladies, thanks again for all that y'all do there. All right, Catherine, let's move to the last segment here. We have the Unified Advocacy Agenda, also known as the UAA. And this is a very comprehensive process that we go ahead and we work on the legislative issues that we have. So can you tell us about this? Sure. The UAA is a document that is pulled together by the Advocacy Council with significant input from staff to make sure that we are focusing on issues that we believe we have the most significant opportunities to weigh in on. Head of the list is mostly having to do with practice consolidation and anything that really puts a barrier in between the physician and the patient, such as prior authorization, which continues to be a number one focus. I know on the legislative side with our prior auth bill and then in comment letters that are written over on the regulatory side, there is a tie-in between Everything that we're seeing with practices being bought by hospitals, with the integration with insurance companies in some places, and the exploding cost of healthcare in this country. And we firmly believe that things that we can do to help preserve private practice, to help keep decisions, medical decisions being made between the physician and the patient, not the physician, the patient, insurance company, hospital administrator, is the right way to go for all of us. Okay, so that part of the unified advocacy agenda affects the legislative push within the academy. But if the surprise billing fiasco has shown us anything, the regulatory side is every bit as important. So Shirasi, is there anything on the regulatory side that you think that we should be looking forward to in 2022? Sure. A couple of things that I wanted to mention, we are likely to see some work on prior authorization as well as on some of the new telehealth-related flexibilities that were instituted during the public health emergency that might become permanent. And then finally, we will also see probably some drug pricing regulations. One thing that specifically for orthopedic surgery that I definitely wanted to mention is that we are likely to see expansion and redesign of value-based surgical care where surgeons take on more risk and are accountable for population health beyond a short episode. We will need to think about how that will work and health equity is likely to be an important part of that redesign effort. Also, MADUFA, which is the Medical Device User Fee Amendments, those are up for reauthorization in 2023. I know FDA is gearing up. We might also see some action in Medicare coverage for innovative technology devices, either through rulemaking or through new legislation such as Cures 2.0. All right, ladies, my two good friends, Catherine and Triasi, thank you once again for this very insightful look back on 2021 and all the flurry of activity that we're doing at the end of the year, and then also all the things that are coming up in 2022. Y'all need to stay tuned for our podcasts in 2022, because as you know, this is an election year and a whole lot of stuff's going to be going on. A lot of important work is going to be done by the Office of Government Relations. So have a happy holidays and I will see y'all next year. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast. 
Part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal healthcare, please visit aaos.org forward slash the bone beat advocacy. Mm-hmm.